Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is, uh, thank you. Thanks for that. A little feedback. That's, you know, nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with talking back a little bit. I like that. Uh, thank you, Seth and Katie, uh, for, for carrying us through. Although we, I mean, what would we ever do without screens, right? Um, that's why it's important to sign up for the newsletter. Uh, because we send out the songs beforehand, you can listen to them all week, and uh, then you'll know them. You won't be dependent upon the screens. I know myself, uh, sometimes I fall too dependent on them as well, but uh, by God's grace, we made it through, right? We were able to sing. There was some congregational singing, and uh, now we get to sit under uh, the, the teaching, under the authority of God's Word. Um, hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I uh, hope it was a time of uh, just fellowship and enjoyment and giving thanks, uh, praise to God for all that he has done uh, for, for each and every one of us, really. Um, Thanksgiving, often we, we stay really focused in on ourselves and, and what God has done for us, but we should also give thanks uh, for how God has provided for our brothers and sisters, the persecuted church uh, scat- scattered all across the, the globe and uh, always thinking of what God is doing globally as well. As Pastor Gabe mentioned, uh, today is the first Sunday of the Advent uh, season. Uh, you might not be familiar with Advent, so I'm going to give just a, a quick uh, overview of what Advent and what the church calendar uh, and what Advent in the church calendar represents. Um, the word Advent is derived from a Latin word, uh, Adventus. And what this word means is coming or arrival. Uh, Historically, leading up to the Christmas day, the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, Christians have celebrated the the season of Advent to help kind of focus in on who Christ is, uh, why it's important that he came, but while also looking back to Christ's first arrival, looking forward to Christ's return. Um, And waiting isn't anything new for God's people. Uh, If you recall at the end of the Old Testament, Israel is in exile, right? They're, They're in exile and they're waiting and they're hoping in prayerful expectation of the first coming of the Messiah. Uh, They're they're wondering, hey, is this is this it? And while they waited, Israel looked back to the past gracious actions of God on their behalf, leading them out of Egypt in the Exodus. And on that basis, they they had hope, they had expectation that God indeed would indeed act again. It wasn't by chance, it wasn't uh, by coincidence, but they trusted that God indeed would intervene. So in other words, they, they look back to what God had done in the past in anticipation of what God would do in the future. So in the same way, during Advent in the 21st century, uh, the church looks back at Christ's first coming in celebration uh, we celebrate baby Jesus. We are, we are glad that Christ came. He took on flesh to endure the hardships of the world, to partner in us in our suffering, and then to endure the cross on our behalf. And then, 
the same time, we look forward. We are people in waiting. We look forward with eager anticipation to the second coming of Christ when He returns to rule and reign forever. Like, period. Exclamation. I mean, it, it, it's done. He will rule. He will return. So as Christians during Advent, what we say is Christ has come and He will come again. Amen? During this season of Advent for our study as a church, we're going to be looking at the four traditional Advent themes. Uh, They are hope, peace, love, and joy. And really what we want to do here is we want to focus in on how each of these themes find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. Our ultimate hope is found in Christ. Our ultimate peace is found in Christ. Uh, we, We find our true love in Christ. And brothers and sisters, we ultimately find true joy in Christ. So join me uh, this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. If you're new to the Bible, that's okay. 1 Peter is uh, towards the end of the New Testament. Keep on working and you'll find it. You'll get, get to it there. It's tucked in between James and then 2 Peter. It's a short letter. The, the Apostle Peter wrote. So 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. That's going to be our, our focal text this morning. And the title of this message today is The Sustainable Hope of Christ in an Unsustainable World. The Sustainable Hope of Christ in an Unsustainable World. And as we look at this text today, my, my goal is to help us see that Hope in Christ is not some abstract idea. It's not an abstract idea that's lacking basis in reality. Rather, hope in Christ is a reality worth all of our trust because of the God to which our hope is found. Our hope has a focus, a person. So let me read this for us. I'm going to pray. Ask God to help us. Verse 3 reads this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Father God, we we pause here to just sit under the gravity, the weight of your written word to give You praise, to give You glory, to give You thanks that You have provided us with Your written words. God, help us to see this letter, this portion of Scripture in the same reality that the original audience would have heard it. Lord, help us to not get lost today by the distractions of what we walked in with but lord help us to remove those distractions would you clear our minds would you help us to leave here different than we walked in transform our hearts renew our minds renew our love for christ father we need your help so we ask what we know not would you teach us and what we are not would you make us and what we have not would you give us by your grace for your glory in Christ's name God's people said amen so in order to see the gravity of this text we have to look at who it was originally written to Uh, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1 we read uh, we, we see here, right? And we see exactly who it's written to. It says it's from Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it's to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. A few things to note very quickly here is first that we notice that these are a chosen people. They are people who have been chosen by God. They have been elected to a status that they did not earn. Second, we note that they are a people who are exiles in their current placement. Uh, In other words, we could say they are sojourners in the world to which they are placed. Their, Their placement in Their current context is temporary. Uh, And this is not to say that they're moving from house to house and uh, they're they're moving from one uh, dwelling to another. It is rather to convey the message that this world is not their home. Peter is reminding them here that, hey, where you are is not your permanent location. As citizens of heaven, they are exiles in a foreign land so their citizenship in their current community is not permanent and as God's elect his chosen people 
they wrestled here, right? They, they wrestled with what it meant to be the object of God's affections. Like, God loves us. He, he saved us. But yet, we are abandoned, seemingly, and out of the way. We are displaced in our current context. They were essentially in some undesirable places. And as exiles, they struggled with what it meant to have hope in spite of these circumstances. Uh, they had questions of cultural engagement, right? Like, like, how are we going to engage with the people around us while we live as Christians, as God's people living under ungodly rule in an ungodly society? Essentially, they are asking, where do we find hope in this world that we live in? And throughout this letter, Peter exhorts his reader to live differently. He says, hey, you're going to live a little bit different. You're not going to be like those around you. And here he teaches them that their hope is not in their current placement. It's not in their current situation. It is only found in their identity of being in Jesus Christ. Period. The Apostle Peter starts here in verse 3 with an unusual response to tumultuous situations. Praise. I mean, he just essentially breaks out here in a doxology. This is a, it's a hymn of praise. It is a prayer of thanksgiving. He greets them, and then he says, like, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then look on to what he says. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, he just starts off here by praising God. I mean, since she says, like, I, I know the, the recipients of this letter are, they're dealing with some, some tough times. And I can't help, but now that I, I'm, I'm starting to talk about God the Father, I'm starting to talk about our Savior Jesus Christ, I can't help but write about the goodness of this Father. The salvation that comes from knowing Christ the Lord. And, and he gives us some reasons here on why God should be blessed and why God should be praised. And it is because of what he has done. Number one, God has initiated our salvation. God has initiated our salvation. Look at the language here. According to his great mercy. He has caused. He's done something. He's done something for us. 
He's caused us to be born again. Uh, Here we stop and we observe the sovereignty of God in salvation. It's according to His great mercy. Not our great character. Not our great works. Not our great attitude. Not something that we conjure up. It is according to who? Him. He saves us. He causes something to happen. Uh, This is similar to Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. What can dead men do? Nothing. They're dead. He made us alive together with Christ. He's talking about God here. He he reconciles us. He, He does something. He starts something in us that we couldn't start ourselves because we were dead. He says, by grace you have been saved. He goes on to say it's according to his great mercy, his love, and his great name. So here we see that our hope is not based on what we have done, praise God. Our our hope is not based on something that we could accomplish. Rather, it is based on what God has done for us. On what God has accomplished. Look, I'll tell you, if I had hope in me, man, I would be a hopeless person. I know myself well. We should not have our hope in ourselves. We should not have our hope in others. Hope is in God and God alone. Peter says that this cause is to cause us to be born again. There's something. It's not just, okay, well, there's an abstract idea of hope here. There's something that happens, and he uses the language born again. What does born again mean? Well, it's a reference to salvation. It's a regeneration. A conversion. Uh, Some people say the language get saved. Like we're born again. If you recall in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Uh, This Pharisee comes to Jesus. He says, hey, what can I do to be saved? Like what is this? Like you're doing all these great works. You're doing these great things. People say you're the Messiah. Like how can this happen to me? What does Jesus respond? He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This leaves Nicodemus really confused. He's like, oh, well, like, does that mean like I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? How could this happen? Like, this is crazy talk. And essentially, Jesus Christ says that, hey, no, no, it is God that does this. It is something that happens By God the Father. There's nothing you can do to cause this reality. God is the initiator who causes, performs, transforms, regenerates, causes us to be born again. That's our hope. And then we go on to read that not only has he initiated but he has secured our salvation. He says we're born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our hope is alive simply because our Savior is alive. It is alive because we know that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. See, without a risen Savior, we have no hope. Uh, The word hope is most commonly used today in our culture in a way that reflects our subjective desires. Like we, we want something to take place in the future, but maybe I don't know for sure that it will. Like I'm, I'm hoping for something to happen. Uh, maybe you're hoping for a certain gift this Christmas. Uh, maybe you're hoping for a specific food uh, when you gather with friends. You're just hoping that, you know, Aunt Sally makes that famous insert whatever. Uh, Maybe you're just hoping for just a good time with family. Uh, Maybe you're just hoping for your kids to be grateful for what you happen to give them. Uh, Maybe you're just hoping that your extended family doesn't drive you crazy. Good luck with that. But biblically speaking, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in His faithfulness to accomplish it. Let me say that again. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in His faithfulness. As Christians, we've got to understand. We've got to get this branded into our minds, our hearts, our being. That our hope is not based on our experiences in this world. Our our hope is not based on the things that happen to us or happen around us. Rather, it is what is guaranteed in the promises of our God. It's on what He has promised in His Word. It's on what He has accomplished on our behalf. Here, Peter writes of a sustainable hope that is a common reality because it is is based in the realities in the past. He's like, it's, hey, Christ's resurrection. He has risen, so that's why we have a living hope. Remember, uh, Peter was an eyewitness to the resurrection. So this isn't just something that he's writing that he heard about. Peter saw the resurrected Christ for himself. Paul mentioned this reality in 1 Corinthians 15.3. says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So, Paul talks about this reality for Peter as well. Then Paul goes on to solidify the reality of what is to come as well, further galvanizing this point, just like Peter did in his letter. He says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, meaning he went first. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, essentially what we see here, in other words, in the glorious reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone brings life, brings hope. Our living hope is in a living Jesus. It is because he has been raised. Our eternal destiny is secured because Jesus Christ has gone before us and has secured our eternal security in His resurrection. That is hopeful. That is joyful. The message is clear here. God raised Christ from the dead. And brothers and sisters, He has promised His people the same reality. He has promised us this glorious truth. This is why we have hope. But He doesn't even stop there. I mean, all that is great. Uh, I mean, what else? But He continues on here. So we've seen He's initiated our salvation He has secured our salvation, the resurrection of Christ, and He also maintains our salvation. Look at verse 4. He says, so it's to an inheritance. And this inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So our our hope here in the promise of the resurrection from the dead is not something we keep ourselves. Do you ever lose your keys? You ever lose your wallet? You ever lose things? You, You ever misplace things? Don't tap your spouse and say, yeah, that's you. We all do it. We all misplace our material things, and we definitely would misplace our eternal security if it was dependent on us. It's not determined by our safekeeping. Peter says it's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Like he's writing to a recipient here, and he uses this language like it's kept for you. This is applicable to each and every one of us who are followers, born-again followers of Jesus Christ. It is kept in heaven for you. Listen, even if we are not, never going to be recipients of one, the idea of even a worldly inheritance is, is very common. Uh, we know what an inheritance may be. Uh, it is something that is given or passed on to someone uh, usually the recipient of that inheritance is they really haven't done anything. Usually they, they're rather just members of the family. They're just someone that is receiving a gift from someone that is being passed on to them because of 
just the generosity of the giver. So this inheritance that we receive here is nothing that we get to to do or it's not based on anything that we could accomplish. And Peter describes this Christian's inheritance as imperishable. Simply, this word means not able to be destroyed. He says it's undefiled. That means it's not polluted. It's not polluted by the things of the world. He says it's unfading, meaning it's not subject to decay. We don't have to look far in this world to see that the world around us, our our own bodies indeed, are fading. They're perishing. It's defiled. And if we are honest when we look inward, we see that our own hearts are corrupted by sin. We are defiled ourselves. We are deceitful at times. We are all guilty of misplacing our hope in worldly accomplishments, which often leads to self-absorption and pride. Look what I accomplished. And then when those things fade or they fail, what happens to our hope? Crumbles. This world is riddled with sin because humanity is riddled with sin. It's not just out there, it's in here. By God's grace, we have been saved, we've been redeemed, we have been given imputed righteousness that we cannot earn. So when we approach the throne of God in right standing with Christ, He sees Christ's blood covering us. We come to Him, come to the throne of mercy, boldly declaring your needs. But on the inside, we're still wrestling with the flesh. We're still wrestling with the old self. This is Paul's argument in Romans 7. He says, the things that I I, I don't want to do, I I do. I I keep being tempted. I'm I'm, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm making war. The goal is to make war. We're all confronted with the reality that We live in a sinful world. And it's hard to imagine a world unaffected by sin. It's hard to imagine a world in perfected relationships where everyone and everything is perfect. But this is what Peter says is to be thought of when we think of the world to come. Notice here he doesn't say that we can somehow do something to create this type of utopia now. He doesn't say like, hey, just hold hands, sing kumbaya, and everything will be all right. No. He doesn't say there's some means to reconciliation within the world that we can somehow accomplish if we just get our acts together and start apologizing to one another for everything we've ever thought of. He says, no, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tumultuous. Pastor and theologian, Edmund Clowney is helpful here. He says, our inheritance 
is not simply a land. It's not simply a city or even a new earth. It is all that God will give us. It actually is the Lord himself. See, it is God. If you're not excited about being with God, then you don't know God. That is the joy of our salvation. Our hope is not that just we, we just escape the world. It's not just that we escape the reality of sin. It's that we get to enjoy Creator God for eternity. That is our hope. In verse 5, Peter reminds his reader that Christians are guarded by God's power. See, the same power that God used to raise Christ also ensures our resurrection. And it keeps our perfect inheritance. And it also ensures that we will persevere to the end to receive this inheritance. This word uh, guarded here is uh, it's really cool. It's actually kind of used in a sense to, be, to talk about being in protective custody. They're being guarded. They're being protected. Meaning that if God is protecting you, guess what? Nothing can stop it. Peter says there is a hope because there is an eternal salvation. And our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ because He initiated salvation. He has secured our salvation and He also maintains our salvation. Uh, This idea is not limited to Peter's writings here, right? This is a constant reminder throughout all of Scripture. Romans 8 reminds us, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... That is a good encouragement for us to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, if you are a Christian, those promises are for you. If you are a follower of Christ, Listen, God will keep you to the end. We, talk, we talked a little bit about that last week as we uh, looked at the final uh, 14 verses of Amos. But the message is clear. And if you're not clinging to that promise this Christmas season, this message of hope, then you are clinging to a hopeless message. If you are basing your uh, focus on the things around you rather than focus on Christ, His arrival and His return, you will be hopeless. The message without Christ is worthless. It's lifeless. 
And let me just encourage each and every person who may be spending time with unbelievers this Christmas season, this is the message we need to promote. When Aunt Sally, I'm not picking on Aunt Sally if you have an Aunt Sally. If Aunt Sally keeps talking about her troubles and her uh, woes, we, we comfort Aunt Sally, but we comfort her with the promise of Christ. And if Aunt Sally does not know Christ, we pray for Aunt Sally. We help Aunt Sally to see the Christ of Scripture. Like we remove ourselves maybe from the family game to spend more time on eternal things. Intentionality. Don't miss the opportunity. Peter goes on here to say in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. So based on everything that he has just said, once again, it's, hey, in this, in this hope, in this promise, in the assurance of salvation, in the hope of Christ's resurrection, this is where you rejoice. We rejoice in the hope established by God and maintained by God mentioned above. See, hope is sustainable here because the hope is based on the promise of God and sustainable hope is joyful. This is an extremely important starting point here because Peter is about to start and we're not going to go through the whole letter as a church, but you can read it. It's a short letter. You can read it later. But he's about to uh, just walk these people through their trials and tribulations. He gets to the heart of the letter and his goal in this letter is to help his reader to persevere in face of the opposition that is to come. But his reader and us, we need to anchor ourselves in the truth of the gospel first and foremost. This is the only thing that we'll see them through and the only thing that we'll see us through. This is why we rejoice. This is why we have hope. So he says, rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. What I just explained, rejoice in it. He goes on, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. So he's, he's talking to his readers saying, hey, though, though now there's something that's going to happen. He says, if necessary, in verse 6, you have been grieved by various trials. It's important to note that these Christians were facing intense persecution from uh, Nero. Uh, a quick reference for uh, Nero, if you don't know. Um, he was a, a Roman emperor during this time. Uh, he was a tyrant who persecuted Christians. He started off pretty cool with Christians. But then a fire broke out in the city. And the people of the city were blaming Nero for the fire. So they're, they're, they're mad at Nero. They're about to revolt. And so Nero says, okay, hey, I need to find someone. I need a scapegoat here and to, to blame this fire on. So he blamed the Christians. And so he starts blaming the Christians. And then, I mean, it, it, everything goes crazy, right? Then the Christians of those times, they're not only facing persecution from the emperor himself, who did some very uh, grotesque things. You can look that up later. There's some young ears here that don't need to hear. I mean, just deplorable things. But they were also facing persecution from the Christian or the, the community around them, the non-Christians. 
So, I mean, they were getting it from every single angle. So Peter says here to them, like, hey, listen, I know things are tough. I I understand. And you're going to go through them. You're going to deal with them. But in order to get through, they've got to anchor their hope in Christ. Peter says you're going to you're going to suffer various trials. There's going to be things that come and go in your life that are going to be hard. And anyone who has lived any amount of time can attest to that. Life is not easy. This world is not full of your hopes and dreams. Things crumble. Our bodies get older, they start hurting, start creaking and cracking, and I just turned 40 this year, and body's starting to feel a little bit different. Starting to feel a little, little, not as young as I used to be. I can feel that when I wake up, a little slower in the morning. Used to wake up like a, like a stallion out of the stable, right, ready to go, and now I'm just kind of like, oh man, all right, got to lay here for a minute. People die. Loved ones around us, right? People get sick. We're we're faced with persecutions, with opposition. We're 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 faced with shattered dreams. Things that we we thought in, in our younger days, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna accomplish this, that, or the other. And then life happens, and those things don't come to fruition. People let us down. Loved ones that we've confided in, that we've trusted, they disappoint. They fail us. There are many types of hardships. But Peter teaches something that is important for Christians here. And he says here that there is a purpose in our suffering. So we can have hope no matter what. He says we know that we have hope because we know that our suffering is not wasted, but rather being used for our good. Romans 8.28 reminds us of this, right? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to His purpose. And here Peter expounds that great truth as well. And he shares some insight here into the purpose of trials. He highlights the fact that God's economy wastes nothing. It all has a, has a purpose. Now, we don't always understand it, We don't always like it. But brothers and sisters, we should find comfort and consolation that our trials, while temporal, will serve eternal purpose. But it is in and all on the basis of the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. See, Peter 
gives us a clue here to that eternal purpose in verse 7. So he says, right, you, you suffer grief in various trials then so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says here that one of the main reasons we go through trials is that our faith is actually strengthened. Our our faith is strengthened through the sufferings we endure. If we are able to make it to the end of this life with faith intact, that it must be purified, must be strengthened. And Peter gives us this illustration of, of gold being refined here to expound his point. Um, in ancient times, uh, a gold refining in, in involved a craftsman who would sit by uh, a hot fire. So he would sit there by a hot fire, and uh, the molten gold would be in this crucible, and it's being stirred, and then it's skimmed to remove all the impurities that would rise to the top. The impurities that would rise would be the combustible impurities. So they would scrape off the top of that. They would remove that. And the removal of the impurities would in fact strengthen the gold. It would strengthen it. It would refine it. Instead of weakening, it would empower and strengthen. It would remove anything that the crafter did not want. And in the same way, God does that to the ones He loves. See, we, we are a body of Christ being prepared for presentation to Jesus Christ Himself. That's why we're called the Bride of Christ. It's a presentation, pure, blameless. So the path towards eternity is paved with trials, hardships, refinements, pressing in, changing us. You know, everyone doesn't like the gym. Everyone wants the Pastor Brandon body without the Pastor Brandon workout. I want it too. I don't have it because I don't like the pain of the gym, right? It it hurts, especially like leg day, right? That's just from the pits of hell. It's tough. It's hard. But in order to have the spiritual strength that we need, we're going to go through some hardships, brothers and sisters. This world's not going to be easy. We're going to be pressed against things that are going to push us a little bit. There's going to be some opposition, some persecution. People will hurt us. But Peter says that suffering produces a strengthened faith. And one of the things that it does most importantly is it burns away our self-confidence in us that we can somehow muster up, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and accomplish what God intended for us to do. 
No, it is in Christ. Sasha and I, uh, this really hit home for us back in 2019. Uh, Some of you uh, walked through that journey with us when Titus was born. He was born with a, a very rare stomach disease. And so we didn't know, you know, he, he went through about six months of having a colostomy. He had, a, he had two pretty major surgeries. Um, one of his surgeries, they removed a third of his colon, and it was tough. I don't think I've ever felt more weak than watching him just go back on that gurney, that, that just being wheeled back to the operating room, right? It's such a young, small, fragile age. And we were in Roanoke, and Zion was here with family in Lynchburg. And, you know, it was a, it was a tough, tumultuous time for us. <clears throat> but by God's grace, he is a healthy, thriving, uh, rambunctious, wild little guy. If you've been around him, you'll know he's, he's a, little, a little sassy, too. Right? He's got a little fierceness to him because of what he's been through. He just has a mean face on him sometimes, right? He's looking at you like, but he's... But during that time, I mean, it, it strengthened my wife and I's faith. I mean, it, it strengthened our marriage. It, it strengthened our, our trust in God. I mean, we didn't know at times, right? But we had to say, hey, look, no matter what the outcome, we will believe that God will use this for our good, most importantly, for his glory. And this is the hope that Peter is presenting here. A hope that God uses the unsustainability of the world for the benefit of those who are in Christ. It's a sustainable hope. And this is all for God's glory. As we close in verse 7, we read that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And listen, so real quickly, here we need to pause, we need to ask ourselves, do we see our trials and tribulations this way? Do do we see them in, in the strength of God's glorification in view through the lens of, hey, God, get the glory. God, whatever needs to be done to refine me, to prepare me for Christ, for eternity, to prepare me for my King's return, then do it. I can admit that isn't always my perspective. But when we see where true hope is found, it'll help us get there. Peter goes on, he reminds us that We live by faith, not sight. So it is good for our faith to be strengthened. In verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, God uses our sufferings to assist us in obtaining the goal of our faith, namely, then mainly the salvation of our souls. As Christians, we enjoy certain benefits now, right? We enjoy 
certain benefits of salvation. But the ultimate fulfillment and completion of possession will not be revealed until the return of Jesus Christ. It will be an ultimate fulfillment. And our hope will be made complete when we are in the presence of our Savior. Brothers and sisters, that is where our hope must be. The promise that although troubles come and these bodies fade, our souls will be saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. And the question that this beckons is, is this where you find your hope? Is your hope based on the reality of Christ's work or your own work? Do you consistently misplace your hope in the things of this world, uh, moving from one thing to the next because those things consistently let you down? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's family. While all those things can be good and useful, they are not where the believer finds their ultimate hope and joy. It is only found in Christ. Christ has secured for us an eternal hope that is kept for us in heaven. John Calvin gives us a beautiful quote that really sums up this message here. This is from his writings in the Institutes. He says, In sum, hope is nothing less than the expectations of the things that faith has believed to be truly promised by God. Thus faith believed God to be truthful. Hope expects that He will show His veracity At the opportune time. Brothers and sisters, may we have that hope today. And throughout this Advent season, that we keep our focus on the Christ who came and who will return again. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise, glory for your plan of salvation that you initiated, that you extended your hand, that you sent your Son to take on flesh, to come to live a perfect life and then die a sinner's death that He did not deserve, but stood in our stead. Lord, help us to Place our confidence, our hope there. May we not misplace our hope in the things of this world that will surely let us down. And especially during this Advent season, as we celebrate with friends and family, as we are surrounded by people that uh, maybe only happen once a year, may we be a people of hope. Waving the banner flag Christ Jesus.
Christ and Christ alone. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice right now that does not know that hope, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself through your kindness, through your mercy, that they would profess Christ, confess that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, would they be met with the gracious hand of salvation for your grace, by your grace, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.